0: Welcome
1: to Mandy the ABA and Aditi the OT's podcast. We are two women across two time zones, from two cultures, two allied health fields, offering two very different perspectives.
0: Yet we have a common goal of breaking down barriers and creating breakthroughs to promote interprofessional collaboration. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our 12th episode. We have quite a gamut of professionals, OTAs, RBTs, speech therapists, psychologists. I'm so excited that we're growing our network. But today we're going to continue our story about Sam. By now, you know a little bit about Sam, right? He was made gobs of progress with his fine motor skills, thanks to Mandy and her team, is reaching, exploring, Now tying his shoes, hopefully. So really met several milestones. So the next step really was about increasing his independence. That's what we're gonna talk about in this episode. How do we achieve that? And we're gonna talk about activity schedules, what the latest research says. This is something I wasn't very familiar with as an OT. So I'm hoping a lot of OTs will find this very beneficial but it can be beneficial for everyone, teachers, psychologists, or anyone who wants to create independence and promote it. So we're going to talk about the aspects that work that didn't work and how
1: we can all incorporate it into our uh, clients' lives.
0: Mandy, do you have some resources you wanted to share?
1: Yes, I do. I uh, first became aware of the research in this area through um, McClanahan and Krantz's book called Activity Schedules for Children with Autism, Teaching Independent Behaviour. And so we will link to that book. It's available on Amazon. And then, and I really hope that I spell her surname, say her surname correctly because she's published some wonderful research, Ruth Ann Refheld. Sorry, Ruth, if I got it wrong. <laughs> but she does a lovely review of that research and we will also be linking to her study as well. Brilliant. So some
0: nice resources for you. We'll also have a video of what an activity schedule looks like and what, um, you know, how a student uses it on our Facebook group. So don't want to miss that. But this week's shout out goes to a friend of mine that I recently connected with. Her name is Bethann Mare Williams. She is an ABA and an SLP. I think she was an SLP first and then an ABA therapist. She's worked in speech and language therapies in the British public health sector for over 20 years. Her specialty is working with individuals with intellectual impairments. And she's worked with so many different individuals, but she's also worked all over the world. And that's sort of how we connected too. She's worked through media for English, Welsh, which is the language spoken in in uh, North Wales, where she lives, and French. Imagine that, right? She's got a nice linguistic degree in that as a speech therapist. So brilliant. She has lots of great interests. I know she told me a whole story about how she taught sign language to a daycare in a really remote part of the world. I forget uh, where it was now. But anyway, just really brilliant. And I I really like the work she has done on precision teaching. She uses direct instruction. And of course, she's a big tag teacher too, which I find fascinating as an OT. So she's also an honorary research fellow at Bangor University and is employed by Queen's University in Belfast. But I could go on to this. so many, so many wonderful things she's done. And I'm excited to tell you that she is going to be one of our podcast guests so she can share her unique experience. But let's get back to Sam. Mandy, remind us, where were we with Sam? Last I
1: remember, you had mastered the um, shoe tying process. Yes, we have. And uh, yeah, 12 months down the track after initially we assessed A little boy with a lot of challenging behavior including aggression and self-injury and limited language and the complete absence of any hand strength to support his fine motor skills of writing and shoe tying in particular because he liked to throw shoes and then that obviously fed into part of the pun his feeding challenges and also self-care in the home so now we have a little boy that's accessible to us our OT has assisted me to develop a fine motor program. We used the Big Six with him and other goals to improve his both his fine motor and gross motor coordination and see our earlier episodes to talk more about those. But today we're going to talk about his behaviour beyond the clinic where he made such good success and look at how we used activity schedules to assist his mother to promote independence in the home.
0: So it sounds like things were obviously much better. Did he seem a lot happier and I, I, I don't know what other word to say does he seem a lot
1: more engaged and happy in, in his environment than he was before yeah i mean i think a big part of that was finding you know functional replacements for his challenging behavior and that is he just couldn't do much you know mm-hmm. physically or you know engage himself in fun activities and so you know part of the intervention was teaching him to use an xbox and gosh what are those things called Nintendo Switch, and he did have always have an interest in maps and buildings so we teaching him minecraft and those things which were he was very limited to do because of his fine motor coordination that built motivation and contriving and keeping those preferred items for therapy created you know a really pleasant environment for his therapy and it turns out he has you know once his language started develop he has a really super silly and funny side to him that we all love and yeah and he loves his therapist so yeah he's come a long way a lot happier a lot more skilled and therefore he's learning a lot better across all of his goals. However, this, you know, wasn't showing up at home. So this is how we first went home mm-hmm. and, ass- and assessed that the use of an activity schedule in the home would be a really good intervention to assist his mum.
0: So up until this point, was everything sort of adult-prompted, adult-directed?
1: I think, yeah, because of his long history of you can imagine when kids are aggressive, and people become very wary of asking kids to do anything and sort of especially as a parent I can say that myself often you just want to avoid behavior so you just complete the task for for the child to prevent any behavior and especially if you have to get out the door in the morning you know you have a busy schedule and and his mum had you know a long history of not having him complete activities so it was just sort of getting by and hadn't because she's a busy mum herself hadn't been in the clinic to see his progress and how much better his ability to engage with activities were but she was still having behavioural assistance so the activity schedule was a really good way of of being directed independently not so much by her but by for him he was reading at this stage so a written schedule to complete activities and he actually loved it because he you know he the end of the activity schedule he got his most preferred item at home and also time with mum which he loves so it was a very good intervention in the height
0: okay so i'm assuming before you did this you probably had some idea or maybe you took baseline data i don't know of how much time he was spending doing purposeful activities versus not or engaging in self stim
1: behaviours. Yeah. Did you have some
0: data on that?
1: Yeah, before so did this? we did. I mean, in general, home intervention for us is pretty challenging. We are basically clinic-based because our kids come until 5.30 at night. So, But on this occasion, when, when kids' behaviour is showing up in the home, we do evening home time observations, which we did with Sam. So it was like, you know, like 6 to 8 at night, and we just saw that he would engage in interruptive behaviour. Like, you know, we did an hour observation before we intervened, and he would scream out he if there was something he couldn't do he would yell to his mom and cry and she would have to come and obviously attend to him and that would get reinforced and that would take her away from a busy evening schedule so you know an hour in sometimes you can you know take all the baseline data but sometimes you just need to get teaching and when it comes to yeah, yeah you're like this is non-functional this is non-helpful he's engaging in disruptive behavior and she's getting frustrated like the time to teach is now and uh, I think I think Oglinsley said that oh okay you know yeah he actually said you know baseline is one thing and it's important in certain contexts but when you if behavior is bad and worsening the time to intervene is like yesterday like yesterday okay so that sort of falls
0: into the tenets of OT you know because we're I mean our whole mantra is occupation yeah occupational engagement I think I think you're absolutely right yeah keeping them busy (laughs) Exactly. Because, you know, I mean, there's even a Bible verse, right? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, even I find that myself, when I'm not busy, my mind goes into these rabbit holes of sometimes negative thoughts about future, past, whatever. So engaging that mind and body is so important in OT. That's why I think you're absolutely right. When we talked about this, this is a, a good topic for OT specifically because it really speaks to our principles and our tenets.
1: Yeah, and I think if we just go back to how McClanahan and Krantz first developed their research, because they are behaviouralists, but they, I know of the interventions very well because one of the psychologists worked with my daughters worked in um, their group homes and you know one of the things that is often prevalent in they developed these in their early intervention you know I hope I'm not saying anything not completely correct but with their little guys with autism because sometimes their staff ratio wouldn't be one-on-one and so they would be teaching one student while other children you know needed to be independently occupied and you know they also wanted them to participate in meaningful activities so this activity schedule was designed to have them productively engaged until such time as a teacher could come and do you know instruction with them and I've seen this this has been implemented in lots of autism units that I've been to in Australia where you know there's a basically children are taught the skill not the skill of completing activities that's one component skill of being able to engage in you know independent activities in a classroom but the actual skill of observing, you know, looking at some stimuli, either a shape or a picture of the item. It can be anything that matches an activity to something that has to be completed and complete that activity and then move on to the next activity. Now, for most of us on the planet, that's a pretty easy thing to do. But for kids that have very few skills, productive you know, independent behavior, especially those kids that don't have, you know, creative play skills and, you know, can't come up with ideas for themselves. This is a very good intervention to, you know, to keep them independent in the classroom where staff ratios are limited or in the home where there's a busy home environment and you need kids to be doing, you know, productive activities and not just sitting engaging in self-dimensional behavior. So, great. You know, so I,
0: I recently have a, had a client who has CP. So he's in a wheelchair, has got limited range of motion. And my third visit to the family and family's home. And mum said to me, you know what? I do everything for him. Now he is 13. And I'm like, but why? You know, he, he's got a lot of movements that he can use. And she said to me, I really would like him to do a chore. So do you think an activity schedule, is it typically used for just
1: activities or do you use it for ADLs? I mean, once you, yes, you absolutely, you can use it for anything. So, you know, in the early days, I relate to this very, very much because I'll mention her here. I'm sure she wouldn't mind. Regina Lido, who was, who worked at, I I wanted, I'm not familiar with the name of the school that McCanahan and Krantz worked at. I will look it up and put it in the resource notes. I'm so sorry. I should have that. But anyway, Regina worked there. So she came to me and I was a single mum back then and she watched me with my daughter in the evening. She was like, this is a disaster. You're trying to get dinner ready for two kids and keep her from constantly interrupting you. Let me show you how to do an independent activity schedule. And I think that was maybe uh, 12 years ago. It changed my life forever that day. And so this can be done even with your typical developing kids that need to get their stuff done in the evening, right? Anything from basically, you know, for, for an older children, it just looks like a to do list, really. Like, but it's a reminder to say, do this, do this, do this. And you can, hey, you know, do your homework, set a timer for 30 minutes, check in with mum, you know, check your laundry basket, you know, check your bag for notes to hand in. So it's a written list or a reminder to keep people, you know, Tracking through their whatever it is that you want them to do in a period of time. So yeah, it can be used for anything. But the skill of following activity schedule is just assumed that it's something that you can do. Whereas McClanahan and Kranz show this is how you can go about doing it with people that don't have the component skills to follow a schedule. Mm. But I think I think the thing about it, the question that you asked, which is a very good one, is if someone tells you to do the washing or to you know to do skills, and you don't have good instructional control with that person, it's hard to get them through it. But if you have a written list or some sort of checklist, you know, like for instance, I work with kids and we take them to the gym and they have like a schedule in their phone. When they are, oh, I'm going to pause you
0: right there. Yeah, the pause button. Sure. Because define instructional control because I can see the OTs going. Oh, "Oh, is that controlling? Is that manipulation? You
1: know, I can see the drama starting. Oh, good. Okay, let me put that in friendly terms yes Uh, let me see if I can put it even in OT friendly (laughs) terms when you haven't got engagement with an individual whereby they feel comfortable following your instructions and they will and they will follow them without resistance so yeah behaviorists might call it compliance or instructional control you guys might say engagement a history of having pleasant experiences such that that person feels motivated to complete tasks for you wow
0: well done, <laughs> Mandy. Yeah, so. I'm going to have to post that. <laughs> that's the, um, but, that's the equivalent, but thank you.
1: But yeah, yeah I mean, you, OTs and, and behavioralists probably call it different things, but you know, in the early days when you start to work with a client, you don't you know, want to pair yourself with very difficult tasks. You want to pair yourself with pleasantry, you know, rewards, lots of praise and lots of pleasantries. And, you know, as behavioralists, we know when we do that in a genuine and uh, way that That's motivating to the individual. We build up instructional control, which means when I say to my students, because I have a a long history of being, you know, flooding them with positive reinforcement. When I ask them to sit in the chair, they're going to do it very frequently. When the parent would say the same thing, they'd go, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) I hear that a lot. (laughs) You're not my boss. you know, but then the parents, like it's like, you've got a magic wand. You just, you know, you ask my kid to do something and they do it without pausing or hesitating. When it comes to me, they argue. And it's a, it's a history of Mm -hmm. reinforcement for following instructions or engagement with them through, you know, pleasant activities. So, so instructional control is, yeah, if you have a, a parent that, if they ask their son or daughter to do something and they're resistant to it, when you take away that aversive and you go, look, when you've done all, of, when you've done these things, you can have your favorite food or favorite activity or I'll make time to be with you. It really takes away the aversiveness of having to na- like almost nag them to do their activities. And of course, mm-hmm. when you first start doing this, you make it fun stuff, especially with kids that don't have a lot of skills. So you try and, you know, you get. All their favorite things in an activity schedule, not like sweeping the floor or vacuuming. Right. You know, you start with right. all, all the fun stuff and then, you know, you can use different methods for reinforcing or rewarding completion of a, of a, and, and then actually, I uh, want gosh, I'm going to use a non-behavioral term here, but you know, it becomes intrinsically motivating because it's just rewarding ticking stuff off, getting stuff done. Oh, and, yeah. but you can yeah, create yeah. a system whereby, yeah, you can teach, basically get, people motivated to do lots of things just by having an activity schedule for them to follow up but but for kids with limited skills you really have to start very very basic the wonderful thing about it though and swether i think it's have a lot to offer is let's just say you have a mom and she needs to keep you know her child that doesn't have a lot of language or a lot of play skills busy for half an hour so she can cook the dinner then you have to come up with creative things that they can do within the activity schedule and that's where ITs have a lot to offer because you know you can teach kids for instance to dig all of the you know little pebbles out of play-doh or something and put them in a box and pack them away you know there's lots you can use you know, all sorts of activities that you guys would already have available to get kids to complete things across the schedule. Well, in OT, there's also, you know, when we look at
0: activities, I, from the research that I've read, you know, it's like you want to find some sort of repetitive activities too, because repetitive activities are, are can be very calming and organizing and feel good. Like knitting, for example, is, you know, is, yeah. is one that I can think of. And, you know, OTs come from using crafts. So knitting, crocheting, any of those repetitive activities can be really good and bring you back to the center so to speak, and really organize you in OT terms, I would say. So I had a student at a school who would just sit there between transitions, like, you know, he had a free period or whatever. And so we did that for him, actually. I just didn't call it an activity schedule. But basically, it was a re- he was very good at reading so we basically had a text schedule and he just followed the uh, directions and he loved it and he would look forward to it. So I think one of the things I'm hearing from you is, you know, is figuring out A, what they like because you want to start with something they like and B, figuring out what their skill set is, right? To make sure that you are, you know, if, if they're, you, you don't want to use words if they're not good at reading. You want to make sure it's pictures, for example.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even for kids that, you know, can't even discriminate pictures, you know, we have a little boy that can't even do that, but he can identify shapes. He can match shapes. So you can just have, we have, you know, McKinley and Krantz use these nice little binders or books where kids would turn the page and on each page they would rip off a token and then put it on a token board and then come and cash in, you know, a completed token board. So you could even just have a triangle where they have to go and retrieve the activity that has a triangle on it and they complete the activity and then they put it away rip off the token on that page put it on their token strip and turn over the page so yeah it can be designed to any level but what I really love about it when I teach these to kids is it really gets you creative about okay what is it that this kid can do and what's the next thing that I can teach him to do that he's going to engage and actually you get kids in contact with a lot of reinforcement because in the early days I got my daughter listening to you know those CD books like I guess today you could use Audible or something to listen to a book I was like she can read but she could also listen to the book at the same time so we taught her to actually you know get the disc put it in the player gosh that's sounds so old the, the disc oh my god wow I don't know if they still have those CD books but anyway <laughs> but now you'd probably you know press play on your uh, on your iPod to listen to it but but she learned so many different things and I had to find lots and lots of different things that she could do independently. And then there was also a part in her schedule where she would come and get me to play her favourite game and then I would spend five minutes with her and then she'd go on to the next activity. And to this stage, she can, you know, productively engage herself for a couple of hours at a time, including, you know, physical activities and, and gym activities all through the use of an activity schedule. So it's a, it's a really, really good thing if you have, you know, kids that have challenging behaviours said, I think you said something really good then, Aditi, which was a big part of why McClanahan and Krantz designed this, is that many times children with limited skills or any student with limited skills is really prompt dependent on what to do next. You know, they just, they're disengaged. They kind of sit there and wait almost with that. You know, have you ever watched those kids that just put their hands up and go, you know, direct me to something? (laughs) Like, Well, Mandy, you know, I think that's one of the
0: myths or complaints about ABA, you know, that that's what people have said that oh you're producing rote learners who are prompt dependent I hear that all the time yeah
1: well I I personally agree with that in that many, many times when I see at least sessions that I have observed in the past is that children are waiting for instructions a lot, which this doesn't happen in fluency-based instruction But because the instruction is once and then the child engages in behaviour for a period of time. But very often there are a lot of prompts built into therapy. There are probably going to be some unhappy behavior analysts out there, but I ask that you listen because I have seen and done a lot whereby kids are picking up on lots of different cues, you know, and they're Dependent to proceed based on those cues instead of independently, you know, wanting to proceed, and it's yeah. I, I often get kids that come to me and, and parents will say, "Oh, my kids used to be able to do this," you know, they used they could do this in their last program, and I was like, "That's because there was." you know, gestural cues and all sorts of cues built into the therapy context that were prompts. And when those prompts are removed they can't do it anymore. So yeah, so this is, you know, a way of having people independently engaged in activities without requiring someone to prompt them. Of course when you start teaching these, you have to use, you know, shaping and methods to reduce your prompts over time so kids can do it on their own. But but eventually you have people that can engage in activities, complete activities independently and, you know, constantly require someone to help them. So I'm going to let you
0: tell us what it is in a minute, but one thing I wanted to ask if I put my critical OT hat on is, you know, there are OTs or, or parents or professionals who might say, well, how much time do you allow for this? Because we want this, the student or the child to explore and learn from their environment. I know what my answer would be, but I'd like to hear from you what you would say to them.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a That's always a fine balance, isn't it? Mostly when we're talking about this type of intervention, we're talking about people that can't productively engage in, you know, flexibly, flexible play skills. Is that a good term? I'm not sure. But mostly when you're dealing with kids with a limited repertoire, they will, you know, repeat the same activity over and over again. Or like, you know, you've, would know be familiar with those children that want to replay the same part of a movie over and over again and it's you know it, it's not affording any opportunity for learning or and there is I guess a place for people to obviously have downtime and but you don't want too much of that repetitive you don't want to reinforce them doing repetitive non-productive tasks When I say you don't want to I mean in particular my goal as a professional is to have kids just what you say you know so exploring their environment and seeking out novel experience but unfortunately when it comes to kids with developmental disabilities you know the reason they end up with that type of diagnosis is because they tend to re- repeat things and often non-productive things i hope that doesn't sound too judgmental but these you know an activity schedule is a way of keeping them moving on and not ruminating or getting stuck in the moment on a on something that is not what i think what was the word that you used there exploring their environment because left to their own devices many children with autism wouldn't probably well won't. well not do that or at least the child that I'm working with at the moment left to his own devices he will piker he has you know very high rates of putting non-food items in his mouth dangerously so when he's left on his own he actually engages in dangerous behavior and skin picking and all sorts of things so yeah I hope that answered your question that I agree with you that there's nothing in my mind more beautiful than watching a child work out how to you know a toy works or like discover their environment or pull pots and pans out of a cupboard and play creatively with them but that is a learned skill and some for some children very difficult to learn so activity schedules is a way of promoting play skills when they're not present
0: well I think that's where perhaps you know you do some activity schedules, but then when there is some free or downtime per se, that's when it's a, a little bit more adult directed, where you're engaging in that exploration with them. That could be a nice balance too.
1: So, how much, how many schedules did Sam have? So he has one every evening and every morning now. So the morning one is to help him get ready and get out the door because he. Oh, oh, wait, wait! I want to tell you a story about that actually. Yeah. <laughs> You
0: have inspired me. So I was reading up on activity schedules to prepare for this. And one of my clients who has Down syndrome, his mum, and it just reminded me because you said, you know, getting dressed in the morning. He was taking 30, 20 to 30 minutes to get dressed. Yeah. And mom had to go in and prompt him, get ready, get ready, come on, shoes on. And she would lay everything out. And I said, well, why don't you try a a schedule? And I just called it visual schedule. And so that's what we did. And we took data. Aren't you proud of me? Great. We took data on it and it reduced it to 15 minutes. Amazing. from 30. Amazing. And, but mum was still prompting. So I said to her, she would prompt just once, right? I said, okay, now I want you to not prompt at all. But the other thing that we did is we added a timer. Yeah. So, right. so if he got bets. done within fifteen minutes, he would get his M&Ms that he really likes. So anyway, just wanted to share my little mini activity schedule there. Yeah,
1: awesome. I think, you know, that's a fabulous thing. And we always set personal best for if they involve, you know, needing to be ready in a set period of time. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, so he uses it for a morning schedule, but then in the evening schedule, you know, we made sure that there was both a combination of unpacking from school and you know basically getting his bag in packed and getting his pajamas ready etc but also then setting activities that he could do because he's really he he likes using lego so you know he has 15 minutes of lego that he completes then he pats away his lego and then he goes and sets the table for mum and then he gets after dinner he gets ipad time once he's completed his schedule if he's you know if he keeps himself i think we set a personal best on the number of prompts or assistance that he needs in order to access his iPad time so yeah that was a real way and his behavior in the evening with his mother is so much better now because now she is reinforcing him or assisting him to complete the schedule as opposed to telling him what to do blame the schedule and you don't have to be the one that's delivering all the bad news and so how long did it take for you to teach him per se how to use it well it was about three home sessions. The first home session, we went home. uh, My coach looked, reported back to me on the challenging behaviour. He identified then things that he could and couldn't do. And then we taught some things to him that he could do. And then his his mum had some really good ideas too, in terms of things that he was already able to do. She just, you know, she just couldn't ask him to do all of them in a row because he would resist and um and fight her on it. So it took about three home visits until such time as he was consistently using the schedule. And then like all things, I just recently she's asked us to come back home and help again because sometimes you lose momentum with things or school holidays come along and you lose it and it's hard like anything, you know, when things fall off the sort of radar, then it's hard to get it back on track. So we just go in there and do a little bit of assistance and like within one session he'll have it back again again. Okay, so
0: my other question is, this is what I have a really hard time with. So your activity schedule is very similar to, say, a home program that an OT would implement for a parent. So, you know, we're working on strengthening, so I'd like you to do these exercises. And what I struggle with is that parents have a hard time with reinforcement, withholding it, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So how did that work with
1: Sam? Well, I guess that's an education process in saying instead of giving him the iPad mm-hmm. in response to challenging behaviour, give him the mm-hmm. iPad in response to him doing something that you want him to do. <laughs> and that, right. you know, if that's obvious to anyone who goes, hold on, first, you know, it's called pre principle in um, ABA terms, but, or, you know, sometimes first you get, you know, eat your veggies and then you get your ice cream. So, right. um, you know, first we do this, then you get that, then it seems... You know, that's so logical then, but there's a lot of, you know, science built into that. But, you know, first you do something for me and then you get to do what you want. And that's the way that we, we were able to show her how to do it and just hadn't occurred to her to do it in that order. So that. You know, that was the first thing to show her. And then how much time was a reasonable amount of time. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, at FIT, he was working for between five and eight minutes an interval of time to access a break. Independently. Well, no. Independently. No, this was just work at FIT. So, like, we said to her, you can't get him working for an hour if, you know, at FIT he can only really work, you know, and stay productively engaged without a break for five to eight minutes so let's just start of course the rate of instruction in a in a clinic is much higher than you he would have to do following a schedule but we just started with you know eight minutes of work and within and he was great with that he was like bang you know get my ipad for five minutes mm-hmm. so very quickly we we're able to introduce that to 15 and then 20 and then based on he had to complete his sort of schedule within 35 minutes which was just the amount of time that she had to be able to get dinner ready for him. Him, and then they could sit and have dinner together and then afterwards he could have his iPad so it worked yeah it worked really really well She, as soon as she understood sort of you know deliver reinforcement contingent on things you want him to do not his whinging and whining so what were the difficult parts were there any parts that were really a struggle I think it's always just really hard to I find it hard to you know, give an intervention to a parent and on one day and expect them to be able to implement it successfully in amongst the interruptions of life. So making Mm. sure that if you're going to help a parent do something like this, that they have a check-in of some sort. So she, of course, she was able to ring us and text us and ask us questions, but then we did three sessions, you know, across three weeks to assist her to get it implemented and get some success in it. Cause it's really, really hard to do stuff on your own. And so that's, probably could have been a barrier is if we weren't able to get home for three weeks and you just the parent you know it doesn't it doesn't stay in place very long if it's not working so i would say that's probably the hardest part is to make sure you have enough crossover with parents or or a method of them getting help if they need it
0: okay no i can i can definitely see how that would be an issue did you start
1: with the morning schedule or the evening one which one did you we started with the evening because that's when we went home and we watched him working and then mm. yeah she was able to create the morning one on her own i think previously the they had had some support in the home to try and implement it but they there was no built-in reinforcement for completion it was just like follow this mm. because we said so which sometimes that works but not when you're trying to teach and, and get a new skill in place and stay, staying on task for, you know, for a period of time is a skill that some people have to learn. So they were just doing too much and expecting, you know, him to be able to do too much work on his own that he still needed assistance with. So yeah, so that hadn't worked in the past either. So she had a, a history of sort of activity schedules not being very effective for her. But also he was a reader by this stage. So he could just read it as opposed to following pictures, which he wasn't, he wasn't as engaged in like, you know, quite sort of childlike pictures so as soon as he could read words you know, it felt like um, to him he was more readily engaged in the um, in the activity schedule
0: so I'm picturing like what what I'm used to seeing is like a linear sort of visual schedule right you know, you know check off as you go but what you're referring to might be more of a like
1: a flip book? That well, right? that's what McClanahan and Krantz used because the kids they were working with had really limited skills. Going back then too, they used to have these really awesome devices, which is so outdated now. I'm really showing sure my age now. But they used to have these little stri- strips that would be within the activity schedule and they could... I'm sure people that are listening to this probably know exactly what I mean. I hope so, but if anybody have around they would um, take this little strip of paper and put it through this machine and it would read something out to them like, you know, I want a hug. And then that that child could carry that verbal message to the therapist oh, and ask I for a Oh, I do hug. remember that. There was like it was like a plastic binder. Ah, uh, anyway, book. so yeah, so there's a social element built into these visual schedules as well. So they would start with very simple mm. things. And whenever I've taught it to young kids that don't have a lot of skills, I always start with one of those tiny little binders. You know, like they often like a mm-hmm. PEX a PEX binder. Yeah. And so they open the book. They look at the first page. It will be, you know, it will give them a cue to go and get some activity. Either the picture of the activity itself or uh, something that matches the activity and they go and retrieve the activity bring it back complete that activity put it away and I used to have this really awesome tray for my daughter that had them all lined up and I would just have to change them up each day and so it was just a she would match a shape so that all you had to do then was in the box change the activity but the shape you know she was still matching the same shape Mm -hmm. so she might look at the pink triangle go and get go to the box that had a pink triangle on it and retrieve the activity which had been previously had been taught to her outside of the activity schedule complete the activity and put it away and um you know she'd Absolutely loved that. And so does, so does Sam. He really loves to do his activity schedule. It's really reinforcing to him. So did I ask you question there? Did he? Oh, yes. Oh, how was it? How did they use a book? And then they would come back, rip off a token on that page and they would have a token strip next to them, mm-hmm. which is a really nice way of thinning the schedule. So for instance, if they can just do two or three activities, then they get three tokens and they cash that in. As soon as you add another activity, obviously there's another token. So when I say thin schedule, I'm like, they're doing more work for the same amount of reward so which is over time you want to thin out the reinforcements so that you can get more behavior so yeah so in mclean hand i use nice little books with you know velcro strips and things which would have um, communication in there as well for non-verbal kids so they could take a strip and present it to the teacher and the teacher could say oh you know you want to hug or you want to play with me and so they always built in a social element to the activity schedule as well is that yeah a little book but you're right it can be it could be anything and I think there's really nice little um one of my students who's on he has activity schedule for the gym he's learning to independently Mm. engage himself at a gym so it tells him what to do where to you know put his bag away go on the treadmill he comes back he and then he gets a break between every 8 and 12 minutes. And then at the end, you know, uh, have a shower, get your bag, get a protein shake from the machine. So he's learning to, you know, really participate in a gym independently. And eventually that schedule, he won't need it anymore. But um, right now mm-hmm. it assists him to independently engage in that activity.
0: Are you able to build in any variances so that you know, because I can see uh, certain students that I'm thinking of that might get too rigid. Like yes. If it's not in that sequence or yeah. if, say the ball is green and not red that day that throws them off. Are you able to do
1: that or address that? At yeah, all? that's really good way building flexibility into schedules. I think McConaughey and Krantz used to do things like put a question mark on a page, which is like a, an activity of choice, for instance. Yeah. And they would teach kids at that symbol meant go and choose something that you want to do so you can build in choice Mm. into the schedule but also yeah I really like what you're saying there sometimes it'll say you can say like do this task, set a timer, for te- you can teach kids to set their own timer as well. So you can vary the amount of time that they're engaged in that activity. What often comes up is you have kids that really want to complete an activity. And so you have to teach flexibility around leaving tasks not completed. For instance, do do a jigsaw puzzle for 10 minutes where the puzzle is not completed. That's a very good, you know, that's that brings up issues of flexibility and that stuff has to be practiced and changed or like color in for five minutes and, you know, they won't have completed the whole page. So this is a really good way of teaching flexibility. So yeah, you can you can build in flexibility there and you know, like I was saying you can either put numbers on it and change up what relates to each number each day or a shape and change up the activity, change the amount of time they're doing it. Yeah, so I even have my daughter will go and get activity books and it will say, you know, complete three pages of the activity book. So You know, Mm. you can vary and build in flexibility time into it. Even you know, you can get them to self-check some work that they previously did, or complete a homework task, or do their spell words. Or so, yeah, you can you can really use them in a lot of different ways depending on the skill level of the student. Okay, last question:
0: What if I get on my high horse? I'm like, okay, great, I'm going to do an activity schedule for Johnny. Yeah, and I show it to him and he tosses the book across the the room because he's like, this is rubbish, I'm not doing this. You know, I can see that happening. (laughs) So I have to be very careful to pick the correct activity for the
1: first go. Is that right? Yeah, if you have a kid with, you know, challenging behaviour, they need to be programmed quite carefully in how to use this. So, yeah, like you might get a preferred book that they like reading and say, Mm -hmm. you know, read this book for, you know, read three pages in this book or read this book if a kid is reading or like it can just be, you know, any activity they really like and Mm -hmm. you reinforce them for completing the activity under an activity schedule so it's things they're already doing and liking so they like playing with trains you know like for instance you can say play with trains until the timer goes off or something and then they get reinforced just for completing the activity in low demand tasks and then you can fade in you know slightly more difficult tasks but if you have a kid that has really severe and challenging behavior then that's probably something to address outside of a schedule not just in a schedule or if the child is you know highly has really severe and challenging behavior at home with the parent again you're going to have to combine your your, you know your behavior management with the teaching of an activity schedule but yeah keep it easy keep it small small amounts and build upon it so if the student refuses then
0: you obviously have to make sure you stick with the plan of not getting whatever the item was correct
1: yeah well it's a little bit like you know sometimes you have to for instance you know pay kids on a really high schedule so for instance you might sit down and say i have a big you know, bowl of an M&Ms and, mm-hmm. you know, you just come and say, you know, give me a high five, M&M, right? So all of a sudden you're en- right. engaging compliance or I'll use that word engagement, you're getting engagement with the student just for engaging with you outside of an activity schedule. And then you might say, you know, put one piece, you know, put one piece in the puzzle, you know, so you, you start right. to, right. okay, two pieces, three pieces, really good. Now do it on your own and then, okay. So, yeah, it's always, you know, behavioral call it shaping. I'm sure you have your own OT context in. Start with something very small that you're successful with, high rates of reinforcement. Reinforce just approaching the behaviour that you want and then start to fade it. And, yeah, if um, if the reinforcement schedule is, if there's enough reward in it for the student, you should be able to shape around anything that comes up. Okay, well, that is the perfect
0: segue to discussing our next episode, which is all about reinforcement, specifically in telehealth, because that's the new platform that we're all sort of encountering and lots of drama and behaviours cropping up there. (laughs) So um, next episode, we're going to talk about reinforcement. What does that look like? What are the parameters? What's a reinforcement schedule? All that. And apply it to the context of telehealth telehealth to help all our new telehealth practitioners. But uh, before we go there, Mandy, do you want to talk
1: about the key points from today, the key takeaways? Yeah, I think, you know, very frequently as professionals, we observe students that and not being successful in the environment in which they're in and activity schedules is a really good way to assist kids to engage independently in tasks where they may not have enough one-on-one help you know to be able to do it with another adult so it's a really good if you have parents that are going oh i'm really struggling to get my kids at, to do it at home getting the um, mccainahan and crants resource or some resource to assist parents to help them do activity schedules is a really, really good way of being able to assist parents beyond your clinic and or in a classroom. Yeah, and I think promoting independence is a really good goal for everybody and activity schedule is a way of doing that, even for kids with really limited skill sets.
0: And I might add to that is from an OT perspective, you know, we often give parents home programs for students and children. So I think an activity schedule would be brilliant to get that goal achieved too so thank you mandy for sharing not just for the student either but for the parent because if you have a parent yes (laughs) (laughs) definitely that's a bigger point there because the parents are the ones often trying to pull their hair out trying to do yeah response cost
1: make it so easy for them that all they have to do is open that page and tick things off as they go and um yeah Yeah. so you you know don't tell them it's an activity schedule but actually what you've got in mind is teaching them how to complete tasks um with that with their student with their child yeah Actually, I have a student
0: right now who's I've got a home program for, and it's actually my big six home program. So they're just doing, you know, the pinches and the grips and pointing and all that. So I can actually put that in an activity schedule. I'm going to try it out. So thanks, Mandy, for that um, information. And everyone... Please do look on our Facebook page for the videos and the resources. Also, it is on my website, which is uh, www.draditytheot.com. We have a whole page there with all our episodes and resources. And if you think of it on Facebook, do send us what challenges you've encountered in telehealth regarding behavior so we can really cater and pinpoint some of the issues for our next episode. Okay, that's all we have for you today. Remember, the most valuable resource we have are each other. Without collaboration, our growth is limited to our very own perspective. So, hashtag collaboration over competition. Until next time, bye-bye from the Windy City. And hurry from Dan and Down.